Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters. My name is Matt Drouette-Card. I am your host. Thank you very much for joining us on this lovely day, evening, if you're on the drive, if you're on the treadmill, if you're out for a walk. Um, thank you for listening. Still don't get why people do, but apparently it's some kind of a service that we provide and people do enjoy it. And so for that, I am thankful for you listening. Today we are starting off a conversation, um, it'll be a continuing conversation, a few different episodes on this, of a new program that's uh, being available through the Maine Department of Education and through EMCC, um, a partnership that's developed there to help build the capacity of the educational, of educators across the state um, to, to really understand that, you know, we need more educators in the state. We, we desperately need them. Um, we've needed them for a long time. We kind of need them now more than ever. So uh, joining me today to talk about this uh, learning facilitator program is uh, first introduce Emily Dowdy. She's the Educator Effectiveness Coordinator from the Maine Department of Education. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Also joining today is Megan London, the Co-Chair of the Education Department at Eastern Maine Community College. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm the one thankful. I'm appreciative of you coming because uh, it's not me talking to myself about uh, MDOE up updates and uh, commissioner updates and things. And so I actually get to talk to someone else which I'm always appreciative of. So um, what is this thing? <laughs> Let's just throw it out there. What is this? Sure, so I'd be happy to start. Um, I would say in about August, uh, the Maine Department of Education in collaboration with the Maine Community College System and EMCC really were looking at addressing this critical workforce shortage. Um, in particular, our paraprofessionals, ed techs, et cetera. Mm. Um, and so as a result of those conversations, a program was put together. We were able to leverage a lot of CRF funding. And so the program is offered at no cost, which is pretty phenomenal wow. for participants. Um, so it is a free program. I think Megan can speak more to the logistics of that program, um, but the hope, the intent is really to build our workforce and support people um, throughout a journey from the critical basic elements of teaching and getting into that classroom all the way through to having a network of support to completion. So the program itself, um, we were you know, very happy and pleased to be able to work with the department to think about this and to really think outside the box a bit in terms of putting uh, the program together. It actually consists of two phases. The first phase is a, an intensive boot camp. It is a three credit course um, and it's completed in a week, which is a pretty intense time frame. but it, yeah. <laughs> three credit course in a week? Yes, yes. So it's a lot of work. So you're not encouraging people to sleep then? <laughs> there's, there's not much sleep that happens, but there is a lot of joy at the end when people get through and sure. they are really proud of themselves. And they're ready, right? I think one thing that this whole uh, crisis has taught us that sleep is overrated anyway. So you know, who really needs it? Exactly. Yeah, the boot camp is intense, but it does cover, um, you know, it really prepares people to step right into the classroom and be ready to work. It covers a lot of the foundational elements needed to uh, provide positive guidance and support to uh, children. Uh, also, fundamentals of classroom management, um, and also things like bloodborne pathogen training, COVID readiness training, uh, mandated oh, reporter training, you know, all of those basics that a person really needs to be able to sure. step into um, 
either a sub role, short or long term sub role, or any level of paraprofessional position. They could work as ed tech one, two, or three, depending on what the needs of the school are. So mm. we really looked at that um, entry point, although it's intense, as being a real, really hard crash course into. Um, having the skills necessary to cover the the needs that schools have right now in terms of the pandemic. And then we think longer term about how do we further develop those people. Um, and we've been lucky enough at the Maine Community College system to be working um, with micro-credential development uh, in the last few years, which is really more of a competency-based kind of education. And so you know, with that work, we were really prepared to respond to um, building a second phase of the program that provided uh, micro-credentials in, in core content areas over the course of an academic year. Also, teaching apprenticeship work. So under the guidance of a mentor, there's 315 hours that a person would uh, clock in the classroom under the guidance of that mentor teacher and also under the guidance of MCCS faculty, uh, primarily myself and my colleague Jane um, and another facilitator, Gert Nesson, who is working with us and she's a principal. Um, and so, you know, that's a really supported process of development. So people are not really alone during that whole time uh, that they're in the classroom, but they're continuing their learning in an on-the-job basis. Mm -hmm. um, and they're also participating in a learning community during that second phase of the program that meets twice a month with uh, peers that are working across the state with the same age group. And that's where they're earning more uh, digital badges in things like observation, curriculum development. They're, everything that they're building in that second phase um, as they're earning the badges, they actually get to implement directly in their job under the guidance of their mentor. So it's a really high touch program that takes them from that deep crash course into an extended sort of self-paced, really on the job type of learning that leads them to a micro-credential at the end, which we've titled Learning Facilitator. Um, yeah. well, I love the fact that, you're, that, that this program actually uses um, the micro-credential process and, and micro-credential uh, structure because um, it, it makes so much sense for so many folks to get people to come in and, and to do a, a consistent like class time of an hour here or two hours there over the course of a long, of a long year or a semester that's really hard to sustain right now. It has been for a long time and it could be one of these things where it's like maybe turning people off for wanting mm -hmm. to come into the program, which kind of gets into the, one of the next things I wanted to ask about, which is the why we have this, why we're, why we're developing this thing. But I do love hearing about um, micro-credentialing because I, I, I've been saying for many years in both professionally and personally that this is the way in which we need to be building a lot of our professional development structures and seeing that uh, places like EMCC are, are supporting it, that the main department of education is now in ways supporting the use of and the application of micro-credentialing is, is just another one of these things which is blowing my mind of the, the way that um, the, these innovative thinking that has happened since February, March. In this, in, the, in this state that is really leading education across the nation right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I will just say that there's a whole, a whole bunch of people in our state who are working on micro-credentialing and you know, the mm -hmm. University of Maine system is involved and uh, 
a lot of the state organizations, there's a partnership with the Maine Department of Corrections and the Department of Labor and the Department of Education, both at the adult education level and um, K-12. And, you know, I think we are definitely seen nationally as a forerunner with micro-credentials. And, and that's really important. That's what allowed us to be so responsive to the department in terms of developing a program where, you know, there would there's a lot of rigor and there's a lot of value and there's a way to measure people's competency mm -hmm. in the areas that are necessary for them to be successful as educators. Um, but it isn't quite the same as that degree program where you need to clock 45 hours right. for class and it takes two years to get the associate's degree. It's, you know, it's a, it's just a different way of thinking. And um, it, it, it is. It is. I think that, that, that if one thing that this crisis has done in this particular mm -hmm. realm, is this legitimized that? It's yeah. legitimized the, the, the sense of that a micro-credential, no, it can be equivalent. And it actually can not only be more equivalent, but it can be more equitable because it provides more access to so many people. Absolutely. And if we're in a position where we are needing people, we need to find ways in which we are meeting, not, not, and not to have them funnel into our small particular tunnel vision way of doing things, but to meet them where they are. So- yeah. So talk to me, uh, either of you, both of you uh, at the same time, preferably, of course, um, that's how great this, this stuff medium really works well, is, is what sparked this? Why is this even here? What, what is the need? I mean, we all, we all kind of are sitting here looking at each other going, we know what the need is, but let's, to those people who might not know. Yeah, I think that, uh, of course, the short-term need is really, during the pandemic, uh, schools just really need more staff to be able to carry out programming in a meaningful way. Uh, you know, if kids need to be in uh, smaller group sizes so they can uh, meet distancing requirements, or as, you know, teachers um, end up getting sick, uh, whether that's with the flu or something else, they need to be out. And so there's, there's, we've always had sub needs, like there's always been needs for subs, but now we just see that need being so much more present um, around us. And, and so the short term certainly was looking at filling, you know, that, um, that need for schools, I think long term, and Emily, you can, yeah. you know, correct me or jump in. Um, I think long term, we really view this as being um, a meaningful way to address the workforce shortage that we have in education, even before the pandemic existed, you know, and, and if we can bring new people into the field that might not have thought it was for them, uh, you know, they see a, an entry point that they might not have seen before. Uh, I think that can be really powerful for the long term uh, in, in terms of filling those needs. Yeah, that was the reason that our team really jumped on this idea, this project. And the thing that got me most excited as we think about recruitment and retention of educator workforce um, across that spectrum, we really saw this as an opportunity, um, both for that short-term, I wouldn't say fix, but addressing a short-term need. And then long-term thinking about how can we support people who maybe have an idea that they wanna become an educator? Um, and how can we do that in a way that it really is supported throughout that continuum, like I mentioned. Mm. Um, and then what can we learn from it? So we're doing assessment right now to get a sense of what's working um, and why are people entering the profession or why are they enrolling in this program? So a question that I posed a few weeks ago is what's the barrier? Is this opportunity um, something that people are pursuing now because of cost? Is it because it's free, this is an opportunity or is it 
in response to the pandemic and wanting to change careers. So I think it'll be interesting to see the different people who enroll and the reasons for that. Absolutely. I think we're looking at that from our perspective too with micro-credentials, just for the reason that you were talking about, Matt, right? Um, maybe they feel that the process of getting a two-year degree is, you know, to get started in a paraprofessional position is overwhelming and they don't have the time to do that or they don't um, see the pathway to enter. Micro-credentials allow for different levels of entry point and mm -hmm. they, you know, I think I want to just uh, applaud the department here for taking uh, on the fact that when these folks earn the learning facilitator micro-credential, they are then eligible through certification to apply for EdTech 3 certification and receive that, right? So the department has taken it on themselves to add a lot of value to that micro-credential at the end uh, for folks. And so there's, there's just a whole different way that people could see a pathway into this field, especially because the department has, has really taken that risk to, to look at how micro-credential certification can become equivalent to something like an ed tech certification, which is so powerful. Yeah. So this, this is really important. That, that I just heard. And I don't want it to be just like a, a passing thing. Um, because when I first learned about this program, I said, okay, yep, building, building a text, whatnot, whatnot. But wait a minute, through a micro-credentialing program, through this system here, we're talking certification now. We're talking actually going and being certified through the department to help make that process easier, more accessible, for more people. Yes. That is something that is just worth itself. Just to, just to put that out there and to let that stew in people's heads for a minute because um, the certification process has not always been easy. I won't give you my own particular stories on certification, but needless to say, they were on par of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so, to see the department and to see that, again, legitimizing this idea of the micro-credentialing is a real method of, of learning and showing professional learning and, and legitimizing that. But legitimizing it in a way to be like, no, you can get certification from this. That's a huge step. Yeah. That's immense. And that, that warrants just people to just take a pause and to think about that for a second. I do also want to talk very quickly or have you all talk about the mentorship side to it because yes. we haven't talked about that. We've talked about the, what it is, why we're doing it, but, but there's this other there's an aspect of it of folks having mentors. Yeah. So as part of that second portion of the program, um, you know, as folks get hired into positions in the schools, uh, we would work with them and with the schools to identify a mentor or teacher. Um, that would support them during the time that they're in the program, uh, basically the academic year. And really their role is to be a sounding board for um, those learners to uh, you know, allow them to uh, observe different teaching um, approaches, interaction approaches. They would be reviewing the instructional plans that they might develop uh, for some of the work with the digital badges. Um, they also, there is an evaluation component to it. It's twice over the course of the time that they're in the program that the mentor teacher would evaluate, but it's really more of a, a reflective process, um, not so much a, you know, 
I don't like to, we don't like to think about it in terms of a punitive perspective or um, it's really about like, where's the learner at and, and how can the two work together to keep that mentor relationship, um, keep that learner growing through the mentor relationship. Um, and so we really feel like that's such an important component of the program. I, I think we all learn in relationship. You know, we, we talk a lot about how relationship is the key to learning. And that's true mm-hmm. for adults as much as it is for children. And so, very that, so. it's very powerful, um, the relationship that can develop between a mentor and a learner. And I think that when I think about entry into the profession and I think about retention of new teachers, even coming out of traditional bachelor's degree programs, mentorship is, is, is what's needed to, you know, I think about my first year of teaching and it was like, oh my God, I sink or swim, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and mentorship can really help that, that first year, especially because you feel like you have an anchor, right. In, in this sink or swim situation. And, and I, you know, I think we feel that that's one of the most powerful components of the program is the mentorship process and building those relationships and feeling a part of a community. Um, and that's what makes you stay at a place. And that's what makes you stay in a field is if you feel connected and you feel you have relationships and those need to start right from the beginning, whether you're an ed tech or you're a new teacher. So. So yeah, the other thing that I think that, that keeps people wanting to stay in the career and the position and what you're doing is, is, not the, is the connection and also that feeling that you're valued that exactly. you are part of something and that your voice is heard, but that, but that you know, value goes a long way and value can be done in a, in a relationship format, which is I think the, the str- one of the strengths of this program and that you have the mentorship and then the learner. But you also, as we've already talked about, the legitimizing of this particular work that they're going and doing in this particular way in the department saying, yep, we're gonna legit, we're gonna certify it. That also provides value. So you're getting, sorry, go ahead, Emily. Oh, no, I was just thinking too about the benefit to the mentor, that reciprocal relationship, but also Mm. the importance of that opportunity for teacher leadership and how much you can learn serving that mentor role. And so I think we've heard that several times that, you know, this is kind of reinvigorating my passion for teaching, having someone that I'm I'm working closely with or getting new ideas from. And let's be honest too, these days, anything that can reinvigorate any kind of passion is... (laughs) is is most welcome yes exactly it's it's so hard right now everything is you know it's it's getting it's it's really everything's wearing on us it's getting we're getting it's getting darker by like two o'clock in the afternoon and the light (laughs) light sun's not coming up until i don't know 11 in the morning i don't know i don't know what's happening um and it's just it's it's just we're all going to be in indoors this is all wearing on us but to have those moments where you say no i want to be i could i get reinvigorated that helps us. If that helps us, that helps the kids who we're dealing with or our colleagues who we deal with, who are teach with and work with, because that is the, that's the social, social contract that we all have that working together, we lift each other up the, in that way. Um, so where can people go to find more information about this particular program, ask questions about it, or just to get whenever, when's the next boot camp going to start, et cetera. Uh, well, one thing I'll throw out before we get to that is just sure. that 
Speaking of invigorating, um, there is a benefit to schools if they sign up to, to be partner schools for the program. Um, so I just want to throw that out too, because it is part of what we're doing. And if a school becomes a partner school, they actually receive a stipend um, in order to support the program, either to support the, the mentor work or however they see that they might need to use this money to, to help things you know, uh, at their location. Uh, so, so that's a benefit, but they also receive technology that allows us to do uh, virtual observations of the student in the classroom. Um, you know, some schools um, are comfortable allowing us to come in. It's also a statewide program, and we're, of course, located in Bangor. And so that technology allows us to kind of mm. come into the classroom in a virtual way, it, you know, say if people are in southern Maine or elsewhere in the state and, and make sure that we're, we have our eyes on um, and, and we're part of that relationship as well for the learner and the mentor and we can support both uh, folks in that relationship. Um, so I think it's important for those schools to know that they are also yeah. um, supported in this process as they're implementing that's, the program. That's great because I can only imagine like a year ago if you were to say well no we can connect with you virtually the amount of people who would be like, no, 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 no. I can't do that. It's got to be in person. And now people are like, all right, we don't like it, but yeah, we get it. Not a big deal. Yeah. So, well, and it's actually working out amazingly well. I, I, I've had some great observations virtually actually. So, uh, you know, it's, again, changing our lens, right? Absolutely. Pivoting. Yeah. Okay. Now right, I'll to, answer your question. Quote Ross Geller, pivot. <laughs> Now I'll answer your question. Uh, we have a boot camp running, uh, two of them running the week of December 7th. Um, those two are full. Our next one will be, next two really, two sections of it will be the week of January 4th. Um, if people would like to know more about the program um, or would like to apply, they can contact me. Uh, my email address is mlondon at emcc.edu. London is just like the city. Or you can just Google EMCC Learning Facilitator and you will come up with our webpage that has the application for the school, the application for the learner, the frequently asked questions, um, lots of information there on the site. And yeah, we'd love to have people, so. Any final thoughts before we uh, close this chapter of our, of our first continuing conversation on this? I just thank you for having us on and I'm just so oh. thankful for the department and, and their openness and the collaboration that we, we have had uh, on this program. It's wonderful. I echo those sentiments um, with the community college system and EMCC. I also just want to thank anyone who has taken on this new role, um, either as a mentor or a learning facilitator. We know that there is a lot on everyone's plates right now. And so the fact that we've had as many people sign up as we have in the past just week alone has been great. Um, and if you would like more information about the executive order that is um, in an article that was put out in the newsroom, um, the week of 11-12, I believe. Okay. So we'll, we'll try to put links to those on our social media profiles and, and other places and show notes. And speaking of social media profiles, you can contact, you can get in contact with us at, at Maine Ed Matters on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Maine Education Matters if you use the Facebooks. Um, thank you very much for listening. Emily and Megan, it's been wonderful talking with you. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation uh, in some future episodes. So thank you for bringing this to us and thanks for talking. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, thank you very much, all. Bye. <laughs>